Hi, I'm Duewa Frazier, and you're listening to episode 22 of Nerdocity Podcast. Today, my guest is award-winning poet, nonfiction writer, and professor, Quincy Troop. Quincy is the author of 20 books, including 10 volumes of poetry and three children's books. His awards include the Patterson Award for Sustained Literary Achievement, Gwendolyn Brooks Poetry Award, a 2014 Lifetime Achievement Award from Furious Flower, and Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History Award, January 25th, 2018 in Detroit, Michigan. Quincy Troop's writings have been translated into over 30 languages. Seven Stories Press will publish a new collection of Troop's poetry titled Duende, Poems 1962 to Now, in the fall of 2021, and also his memoir, The Accordion Years, in the following year, 2022. A major motion picture based on Troop's memoir, Miles and Me, is also scheduled to go into production in the fall of 2021. Currently, Quincy Troop is poetry editor of A Gathering of Tribes and contributing editor to Conch, two online literary journals. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It is an honor and privilege to uh, talk with you. There are a number of people in my network and yours also who are very excited to hear you um, in this interview and they know that you have a new book coming out. Yes, uh, I have a a book. It's it's titled Duende. That's D-U-E-N-D-E. And uh, it comes from the Spanish uh, it comes from the Spanish meaning magic coming up from the earth. And uh, how I got to, to that word was that my, my, uh, the great poet uh, Gar- Federico Garcia Lorca uh, you, uh, talked about the Duende. And I, he, I was fascinated by it. He, he wrote a little, book, a little book on it. And uh, I was just fascinated by it. So I found myself, when I was writing this new book, I wrote a poem called Duende. And, uh, and I decided to title the book that's going to come out from Seven Stories Press in hardback and paperback in late August, early September of this year. And uh, so I thought, I thought I would use that title. And uh, the book is about 500 pages, between 500 pages. Wow. Well, Quincy, congratulations on Duende. And as I'm uh, looking at the cover here, Poems 1966 to now. Wow, that's history right there. Yes, it is. I mean, um, 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 I enjoyed putting this book together because uh, actually uh, I I had about 1,500 pages of poems, 1,500 to 2,000 pages. He said, no, we're not going to do a book that big. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) uh, we're not going to do it that big. He said, we'll do that with your collected. I said, okay. And uh, so um, I, I just love the title. And the, the book is in, goes all the way back to 1966 uh, when I was out in Watts, when I was living in Los Angeles and hang, hanging out with my friends out there, um, Ojinke and Kay Curtis Lyle and, um, and, <clears throat> and uh, hanging around with them. And uh, mm-hmm. so it goes back to that and comes all the way forward to now. 
uh, in New York. And, you know, the last poem in here is uh, probably going to be a poem that I'm trying to finish up now called COVID-19 Removals. You know, that's amazing, Quincy. And I know I want to get, I want to come back around to your new, uh, some of your new poems uh, during this segment. But I really want to ask you, um, how has the art, how has the work in poetry and writing changed for you over the years uh, from 1966 to the present? What what do you what do you uh, reflect on uh, in that? Well, I you know I, I I never thought I was going to be a writer. First of all, I was a basketball player and a baseball player. I you know I came from an athletic family, and uh, I you know at one time I was a very very good basketball player, and I thought I was going to be a professional basketball player, and uh, but then I wrecked my knee. Uh, playing in, uh, I was on the all army basketball team playing in Europe and I wrecked my knee, which ended that, you know? And uh, so uh, <clears throat> I started writing over in, in, in France when I was living in France, I started to mm-hmm. write in France. And, and the way I put it is I, you know, I used to love to read books. I always read books all my life. And then didn't know what I was going to do. My mother wanted me to be a lawyer. I was, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be a lawyer, but my mother wanted me to be a lawyer, but I did not want to do that. So when I came back to the United States, I moved to Los Angeles and I, and I, and I, and I understood that I should do something that I love. And so I, I love basketball and I love reading books. And then I discovered that I love writing. I discovered that I really love writing, although I didn't know how to do it, you know. I didn't know how mm-hmm. to do it. So I, I studied it. I went back to school to study uh, writing at uh, Los Angeles City College after Grandling College. And I went mm-hmm. back to because uh, to, 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 I majored in political science and uh, when I was at first in school. And so I went back to study uh, writing and I went to Los Angeles City College and uh, and started to study writing, uh, poets especially. And that's what uh, got me into it. All of a sudden, uh, that's what I wanted to do. My mother thought I was absolutely crazy because I came <laughs> from a, <laughs> because I became from a very prominent political family in St. Louis, and, uh, and so you know, mm-hmm. but uh, <clears throat> my uncle wanted me to be a politician, and uh, my mother wanted me to be a lawyer. So she wanted me to combine both. But w- once I got to L.A. and 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 started, hang, you know, found, discovered I always loved music. But I never thought I would. You know, I never thought about writing. Uh, but once mm-hmm. I discovered it, it was no going back for me. Uh, I just loved it. I just loved it. You know, I wrote every day. I carried notebooks around and wrote in every. On, I wrote on everything: books, pieces of paper, napkins. <laughs> uh, wow! So it was just something that I discovered that I just. I I I I just loved it. Uh, I I had no idea what was going to happen, uh, but uh, one thing led to another, and. Uh, uh, and and I and I began to publish, and that was uh, mm-hmm. that was me that people like my work, you know. Wow, that's that's amazing. So, do you believe I've I've often heard uh, in terms of being a writer, some people say a writer is chosen. You don't you don't choose it; it chooses you. Do you do you believe that for yourself? Well, the way the way the arc of my my career. 
uh, my love of the writing, I guess it is, I, I, I could agree with that because as I said before, do I, I didn't think I was going to be a writer. I never thought about it, even though I loved writing. I loved it. And, um, but all of a sudden, once I started to do it, it seems like I was, I, you know, I just couldn't put, I couldn't stop. And uh, so in a way, I guess it did choose me. It did, it did choose me. It chose my heart, uh, chose my heart. And, uh, I wanted to do it no matter what. And, um, it's just something that I, I, you know, it wasn't that I thought I was going to be great. I had no idea. You know, I, I, I didn't plot out a career. I hear people said, well, you know, I, I wanted to be a writer since I was three. I, <laughs> and I said, I said to myself, since you were three, how did you know that? You know, I, I, I didn't know I was going to be a, I never thought I was going to be a writer until I was in my twenties, you know, I, in my 20s, wow. when I went to L.A., that's when I thought I, I could perhaps do this. And I didn't know I was going to be able to do it. I just knew I had to try to do it in, in a way. Indeed. And that's what, you know, when I hear your story uh, and stories like yours, it's like, wow. I mean, it sounds like, you know, almost a magical journey, just the way things unfolded and the way it, you know, the way it happened. Um, you know, because your works have been magnificent from uh, your poetry, uh, 10 volumes of uh, poetry, three children's books, uh, several works of nonfiction, uh, or Earl the Pearl, My Story, uh, the memoir of Earl Monroe. You also uh, wrote, uh, worked on The Pursuit of Happiness, an autobiography with uh, Chris Gardner uh, that became a motion picture. <laughs> Uh, Miles and Me, soon to be a major motion picture. I mean, how did you uh, get into the nonfiction and, and uh, interviewing uh, great uh, folks like Miles Davis? Well, when I, when I, when I, you know, it was funny. Now, this was, this was something that happened. And I, my mother uh, was a really pragmatic woman. And uh, she said to me one time, how are you going to support yourself? How are you going to, you can't support yourself writing poetry, you know, talking about who rim author, rim bard, uh, Garcia, Garcia locker. <laughs> how are you going to support yourself? You know, how are you going to make money? How are you going to eat? So that, that hit me, you know, it hit me. I thought about it. So that's why I went back to school to study journalism. And so when I was living in Los Angeles, I went back to school to study journalism and I went to Los Angeles. I found, I, I had enough sense to look to find, try to find out what had the best journalism school in Los Angeles when I was living there. And uh, mm -hmm. I found out from a lot, just checking around, that Los Angeles City College had a weekly, I mean, a, a daily. They had a school of journalism where a lot of people at the Los Angeles Times and all of the best newspapers writers went to Los Angeles City College. And uh, so I said, well, let me try to go there. So I, I, I decided I was going to go to Los Angeles City College, study journalism, and then I would, I would write every day and, and write journalism every day. And that would support me. That would support me in my pursuit of right, being, becoming a poet. I, figured, I, I felt like I had to eat and I had to eat. And, uh, and uh, so if I had a, a job, a craft, which is what journalism is, learning how to put together magazines, learning how to write journalism, 
learning all of that, all the ins and outs of journalism, I could write poetry on the side, which is what I really love. And so that's what I started to do. And I started to do that, and it, it and it's and it really, really, really uh, served me well because I started writing all these stories for uh, the Los Angeles Free Press, uh, L.A. Times, all of those magazines in L.A. But on the side, I was writing poetry. And at the same time, I was making a little money uh, being a stringer for all these uh, newspapers and magazines. Mm -hmm. And uh, wow. it, 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 it served me well. Uh, I met good friends. I have friends I had then I have now, like Eric Priestley. Uh, Eric Priestley was my good friend and still is. Um, uh, I met him out there in the Watch Writers Workshop. And Ojinke, who is still my, one of my really good friends, and a whole bunch of people, and I, Kay Curtis Lyle, I've met all these people uh -huh. in Los Angeles, and they're still really, really some of my best friends in, in the world at this point. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so your foundation in journalism, Quincy, um, you're saying really uh, translated into you writing these bestsellers uh, in uh Miles' autobiography of Miles Davis and his memoir, Miles and Me, uh, well, uh, soon to become a motion picture, as well as The Pursuit of Happiness. So would you say your journalistic uh, foundation kind of really helped with uh, writing in those genres? Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, it did. I mean, it, 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 I, 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 I separated that, that skill. I call it a craft, not an art form. Poetry mm -hmm. is, for me is an art form. Uh, journalism is a craft. It's a craft where you you do it as a craftsman. You have to learn how to put it together, the story together, writing sentences, paragraphs. You have to write. You have to you have to learn how to write a a, a, a journalistic piece that will be published in some of the best uh, some of the best uh, publications, uh, newspapers and magazines and journals and uh um you can write for television all of that it's a craft it's a craft it is poetry is something that is that is inspirational poetry is something that comes out of, out of i like music po i look at poetry poetry is the combination of language music musical language metaphor which means painting bring you have to bring in painting and and you have you know that's what that's about. You have to create metaphor and images, and that 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 just like a painter does. And at the same time, you have to write rhythms. You have to write you have to write in a rhythmic voice, and uh, you have to learn the craft of it, which is you know like if you write a a, a haiku, a haiku is a haiku is seven five five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. That's seventeen syllables. Five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the second line, five syllables in the in the third line. Uh, a sonnet mm -hmm. is 14 lines, 14 lines of rhyme, of rhyming, of uh, 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 iambic pentameter, okay? Uh, and then if you write the sestina, that's, that's a 19-line poem, French form, French form. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, have to write, you have to write the lines in a certain way. There's a, it's a certain craft to that, you know? Free verse is another thing. The villanelle is another crap this is just so i learned all of that you know i learned how to write villanelles sestinas haikus uh sonnets uh but at the same time my, my i love to write free verse and i and i love to create my own form 
I have created some forms called 7-Elevens based on the four of the dice. Mm-hmm. Seven in- wow. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> is that a, a Quincy? Is that a St. Louis thing? No, it's not a, <laughs> well, it is because I used to shoot dice, shoot craps in St. Louis. It's seven, seven syllables. <laughs> a 7-Eleven is uh, you, you take the sevens and I, I created this myself. The sevens mm-hmm. are, you start out with seven syllables, 11 syllables, seven syllables, and you take, you go through 11, seven, seven lines like that. Seven, 11, seven, 11, seven, 11, seven. And then the 11s mm-hmm. is 11 syllables in the first line, 11, seven, 11, seven, like that. So you get to 11 lines. And it's all based on the throw of the dice. Seven through 11, you win in the game of dice. Snake eyes, you mm-hmm. lose. So it's based on that, you know? It's based on that kind. Wow. That kind of uh, <laughs> uh, that kind of form. And so I've, I've sure. created a whole bunch of them now. It's funny because I have some friends. I have people, other poets, who are writing Seven Elevens. <laughs> they are writing Seven <laughs> Elevens now. Like some people used to write haikus. Now some people are writing Seven Elevens. Mm-hmm. I feel Seven Elevens. I'm flattered uh-huh. by that. I'm really flattered by it. You know. Wow. That's. I mean, it's innovative for sure. For me, for yeah. me, it's, uh, poetry mm-hmm. is that's what it's about. It's about it's about craft, but it's also about freeform and it's about innovation. Uh, it's about it's about trying to impact. I felt I've always felt since I studied all all, all of the forms that came out that uh, Americans use. The sestina is a French form. The sonnet is mm-hmm. an English and an Italian form. The haiku is a Japanese and Chinese form. You know, and they all they weren't created here. They were created someplace else. So in my head, uh, I wanted to create a form that could be coming out of the United States that could base, be based in a certain kind of form that could be coming out of the United States. And also, I thought since uh, I, 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 I read a lot of, uh, of what European poets, how they, how they were influenced, and they were all talking about Beethoven, uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, all of the classical, so-called classical European composers and musicians. And so I thought, well, why, why can't we be based, why can't it be, I grew up down the street from uh, Chuck Berry. He, Chuck Berry lived down the street from me. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. he used to come into place in place where Saint, in St. Louis, right? At, at, at Beaumont High School. And he lived on oh, yeah. Avenue and we had all them fine girls, you know. <laughs> Because we were basketball <laughs> players and athletes. And so he started coming to the little place that we hung out at. And uh, you know, Chuck Berry did. He's coming to trying to cop some, some of those fine young girls that we had at the time. We were young, too, at the time. And uh, I said, yeah. myself, wow, this guy's coming in here trying to steal our girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and, that, and was that before he was, you know, really into his oh, music? Oh, no, he was famous. Oh, he was oh, already yeah, he was famous. Already okay, he was already he had already <laughs> rolled over Beethoven. He'd already written that, written that. And I met, I knew him because of the fact my stepfather, my my father Quincy Troupe, he added a P to his name, Quincy Troupe, oh. because he played in Latin oh, America, uh-huh. and Mexico, and Cuba, and Puerto Rico. So they put an next a P in his an extra P, T R O U P P E. So oh. I always get, I always get, mm-hmm. the, the, I always get the, when, especially from old guys, they say, "Hey, what? Are you, are you, are you, are you, are you, are you, are you any relation to Quincy Troupe?" 
I say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, they say, well, what, what, why you drop a pee? I said, I didn't drop a pee. He added a pee. <laughs> he added, <laughs> he added, he, he added a pee. I said, he pissed off everybody in my family too. <laughs> adding the pee, you know, adding the pee to his name because he played down there. Sure. And so, you know, for me, uh, that's what it was about that for me, you know, and, um, uh, yeah, so for, it, you, I think everything has to be based in some kind of tradition. I, I love Chuck Berry as a musician, uh, and uh, Chuck was Chuck used to come to my house because my stepfather, China Brown, married my mother. My mother was a beautiful woman, and uh, my mother used to, all the men loved my mother, you know, so she had all, <laughs> all these guys yeah. coming by the house, you know, and so, but, but she married China Brown, who was a a blues bass player and he led a band. And so Chuck Berry knew him. And so Chuck would be coming by the house to talk to China Brown. So that's how I got to really know uh, Chuck Berry, you know, um, and I, I got to know him mm -hmm. uh, because he'd come by, he called me little troop, little troop, you little troop, little troop, oh, little troop, wow. where you going with that fine girl? <laughs> now, now Quincy, I'm amazed at that because now that makes me wonder, did you ever think about, you know, writing a book with uh, Chuck No, Berry? no, I, 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 I don't, because first he's dead, and uh, he's dead, and uh, I would, I, I love Chuck yeah. Berry. I think he was totally innovative, and uh, he was a little hard, yeah. to, he was hard to deal with, though. He was hard to <laughs> deal with. I mean, I knew him, uh, my good friend Kay Curtis Lyle lived out in Wentzville, where mm -hmm. Chuck lived. And so I would, I, when I uh -huh. go to St. Louis and Chuck, I mean, uh, Kay Curtis, well, Curtis, Curtis was teaching at Washington University and he had this great job and, uh -huh. and he was, he was, had a great girlfriend and all that. He had a nice house. So I'd go out there and stay. So, and one day I was walking down the road early in the morning. I used to go for walk, walks early in the morning, five or six in the morning. Uh -huh. I'm walking down the road, down the road. I think it was Wentzville Road, I think. And here I'm walking, and I'm walking, uh -huh. and I see this guy coming toward me. So St. Louis is such a violent place in a way. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, immediately, I, I immediately went into my, okay, my gangster role. Like, okay, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> you know, it's early in the right. morning. I got to be ready, you know, <laughs> whoever it is. Yeah. So I, uh -huh. I saw, when, when I got up close to him, I saw it was Chuck Berry. You know, I said, wow. I said oh, hello, hello, Mr. Berry. I, hello, Mrs. Barry, and this Quincy Troop, you know, Quincy Troop and China Brown son. He said, I know you are a little troop, and he just walked right past me. He didn't even stop, stop and talk to me. <laughs> he just kept going, like, I ain't talking to you, you ain't nothing. <laughs> that was wow. And uh, I would see him in right. the morning, and I, I'd see him walking in the morning out there. I didn't even speak to him no more. So one day he said to me, I'm You're walking. You're kidding. He said, hey, you're not going to speak to me, troop? Little troop, you ain't going to speak to me? I'm your elder. Speak to me, boy. <laughs> oh, wow. Was Chuck, man. Chuck was too much. Mm. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, was this before? Well, this had to have been way before that you uh, had uh, started your friendship with Miles right. Davis, right? Right. I loved Miles Davis from the first time I heard his music. And by the time I'd gotten to be, you know, 16, 17, 17, I thought I was, you know, getting slick, you know. Uh, you know, I was always into fashion uh -huh. and clothes and shoes. 
I, I even kept me a little job so I could buy shoes and little suits and everything. And, uh, and, um, and, and I saw Miles Davis. I saw my, uh, my, uh, my stepfather took me to see Miles Davis at Peacock Alley. And I go to Peacock Alley in St. Louis and uh, the place was packed, packed. And uh, I was with my little girlfriend and, and I'm maybe 17. I got on my hat and suit and all that. And I look up at the bar and Miles Davis was at the bar talking to, I forget who, uh, to Coltrane. Coltrane. He was talking to Coltrane. He was sitting at the bar. He was at wow. the bar talking to Coltrane. John Coltrane? And, but you know, it, John, yeah, John Coltrane? Coltrane. And so that, he was in his band. Wow. That was, that was, that, he was in that band. And so by Miles' uh-huh. band. He was in Miles' band. So they had this little arc. Of, of space around where Miles was. It was an arc of space. Nobody entered that space. We could all stand up and look mm-hmm. at him. He was like a rare jewel, I think I put it someplace. He was like a diamond. You could look, but you couldn't touch it. <laughs> you couldn't get close to him. So wow. he at the bar and he was, that's when he <laughs> smoked. And he was drinking a beer and he drank then. And here I heard mm-hmm. coming from the back of the room, I heard somebody say, Oh dear, look. Oh dear, look. There's Miles Davis standing up there. There's Miles standing at the bar. Let's go say hello. So I turned around. Everybody turned around. And it was this little, it's this white boy and his girlfriend. He's pulling her in tow. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, is he gonna speak to Miles? Is he gonna speak to Miles? And Uh-oh. he goes up to Miles Davis and stuck his hand out and said, excuse this language, though. This is what he said. He stuck his hand and said, Hello, uh, Miles Davis, my name is. And Miles Davis looked at him and said, Fuck you, motherfucker. Fuck you, motherfucker. Fuck you, shut the fuck up and take that bitch with you. I said to myself, oh, Oh, man, (laughs) that was too cold. I had never heard nobody talk to a white man like that in my life. Oh my goodness! Now, around what time? Now, what 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 time period was this? Uh, Now, what year was this? I must have been about seventeen, eighteen. So it must have been in uh, it must have been in the in the forty fifties. Oh wow! uh, In the fifties, yeah. He was just so stunned. Everybody was stunned. People started laughing, you know. But the guy turned around and walked away, and and Miles Davis just turned around. Like like the king he was, and just went back to talking to Coltrane, you know. And I said to myself, I oh never saw goodness. a black man treat a white man like that in my life. And so from that day on, wow, I just loved Miles Davis. I just loved him, you know. Not only his music, but he had this attitude. Mm-hmm. He had this attitude that and no, and nobody, nobody messed with him. Nobody. I guess. Nobody would bother with him. Mm. Nobody. He was like a king. He was like really like a king. And I found out later mm-hmm. that I found out later that he had been like that all his life. That his father was the second richest black man in the state of Illinois. And uh, I mean, a millionaire. He grew up. A, he grew up. A, 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 he grew up like he's a millionaire's son. You know, they have they had oh, okay. three hundred acre farm. You know, his father had all his money. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. I didn't find all this all about him. So what I'm saying was, and uh, you know, and I used to ask people about Miles. You know, I wanted to meet Miles. I wanted to meet Miles. And my, my cousin, who was a big time drug dealer at the time, 
and I used to bug him all the time. He said, man, I got to meet Miles. He said, man, Miles, I want to meet you, man. Who are you? I said, I'm an awesome. I'm a great pastor. He said, he don't care. <laughs> Miles don't care what you are. Wow. So no, he, he knew Miles? Know he Did know he, he know Miles? Miles? He just knew Miles didn't want to oh. talk to me. You know. Okay. <laughs> And so, you know, that's when you were, you know, th that's pre-poetry and all of your travels. I hadn't, and I hadn't even traveled so, then, but I knew at that moment that I wanted to grow up and be like Miles Davis. I said to myself, I, I got to be like this guy. I, I got to be like him. I don't want to say I want to walk, walk around cursing out white people, but I want to be confident, sure of myself, moving through the world. I want to be like that. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I, I don't want right. to be no Uncle Tom black guy for nobody, you know. And I realized mm -hmm. that that's where he was. And I, I didn't know him. I didn't know him. And I, I, I but I, I said to myself, I got to meet this man. I have to meet him. And I did meet him when I first came to New York. And I, I, I want to read. Can I read you something about it? Yes, please do. Please. It's, yes. It's in my book, Miles and Me. Meeting Miles. Okay. I first met Miles Davis in 1978 at a party at Leo, Dr. Leo Maitland's. Leo, who had at one time been one of Miles's doctors, lived down the hall from me at 382 Central Park West and had become a very good friend. I had been listening to Miles since 1954, see, and he had been a hero for me for a long time. But by 1978, I wasn't listening to his records as much as I had earlier in my life, although I still loved going to hear him play live. Before I actually met Miles at Leo, I had seen him a couple of times in the elevator of my building because he lived in the and was dating one of my former poetry workshop students, Yvonne or Yvette Durrett. They were identical twins. So I can't remember which one it was, but I think it was Yvette who lived in the same building I did. I had also caught glimpses of him a few times at neighborhood bars. He was sitting in a corner hidden behind his ever-present dark glasses, dark glasses, holding, looking menacingly at everyone. Sometimes I spotted mm. him at after-hour joints. Other times I saw him hurrying through the neighborhood streets, walking or driving his red, red Ferrari sports coupe. Like I said, we lived in the same neighborhood, the Upper West Side of Manhattan. But whenever we passed each other, no matter where it was, I was never tempted to say even a mumbling word to him. That was because I had a clear, very clear memory of how angry he could become at, un at unwanted public attention. The memory was more than 20 years old, but was still as vivid to me as though the scene had happened the day before yesterday. And, and it, talks about, it talks about the Peacock mm. Alley where I told you that story, how he cursed out the white guy, you know? Right. That memory was wow. in my head locked, you know? So I was not going to be the one that walked up <laughs> to say nothing to him <laughs> at that point. To say nothing no, no. to him at all. I gave him his face. <laughs> I gave him his face. But I can tell you later on, later on, after we got to mm -hmm. be friends, we got to be really good friends because I wrote this piece on him for Spin Magazine. I interviewed him and got to know him. 
went over mm. his went over his apartment on uh, Fifth Avenue and got to know him. And then he found out uh-huh. what 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 really what really made him uh, uh, made him um, uh, you know I think yeah uh, broke turn around with uh, was that be, he, the yeah. first band he played in was my cousin Eddie Randall's band uh, in St. Louis. That was the first band he oh. played in when he was uh-huh. 17 years old, 16 to 17 wow. years old. And so when, uh-huh. he, when I was interviewing him, he found out and he said he played, I said, I said yeah, can you tell me about you, about how you like playing Eddie Randall's band? He said, oh, you know about Eddie Randall. I said, yeah, yeah, I know about <laughs> Eddie Randall. Eddie Randall, Eddie Randall was my cousin, was my mother's first cousin. He was my cousin. He used to come by the house every day. Eddie Randall was your cousin? No shit. No shit. Wow. So then he looked at me <laughs> real crazy. Then he said, well, don't sit there. Don't sit there and don't sit there and look, man. Ask me a goddamn question. Because <laughs> I hadn't asked him a question at that point. <laughs> and uh, from that mm-hmm. point on, I, I couldn't do no wrong. I could not. He would give, he would do anything, not anything, but I mean, whatever I wanted, he, he would, he would, uh, whatever I wanted to know, he would open up and give it to me. And uh, that was a gift. Uh-huh. That was a gift uh, of, 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 of Miles. And then he liked me. He, he, told, he told me one day, man, you're about a funny looking motherfucker. <laughs> and then he told me one day this was really what it was he said i got he he he, uh he said something made me mad you made made me angry you know because he could could be cold-blooded on you and uh he said i'll hit you you in your i'll hit you in your fucking mouth and i i looked at him i said miles you looked at yourself recently (laughs) i said you Uh five feet eight and I'm six feet two. You weigh 150 pounds, <laughs> and I weigh 215. I say, I will hurt you. I say, I will hit you in your <laughs> mouth and break your damn armature. I say, I'm from St. Uh, Louis, uh, just like you from me, oh, no. St. Louis. I don't take no, I don't take no shit off nobody, man. And I definitely ain't gonna take no whooping. He looked at, he said, and he grabbed his right. mouth when I said I'd hit him in his mouth and ruin his armature. <laughs> He grabbed his mouth, and from that time oh, on, he wow. would tell everybody, mm. you know what, you know this, he said to me, he said he was going to hit me in my mouth and ruin my embouchure. <laughs> he would tell people that story. <laughs> he, he said it, he said it. Mm-hmm. Man, I said, man, this guy go, this guy is crazy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm crazy. He's right? crazy, right. And uh, from that time on, <laughs> Uh, uh, we, we just, it was wonderful. You know, we just, we, I, we just, I, I, he'd come by my house. He'd come by, he, he met my, he met my wife, Margaret. He said, man, how you got to find a woman like this shit? You know, <laughs> I said, I said the same way you did, man. And I remember one time we were, we were over his house and he was, he was talking to her and you know, Margaret, and I did this and he hit her. He, she had on, it was in the summer and he hit her thigh, you know, mm-hmm. and she, he hit her on the thigh. Uh-huh. He wouldn't mean it. That's what he did. And she said, Miles, don't touch me. What's wrong with you? Right. She said, I'll smack the shit out of you. <laughs> don't you never put your hands on me. And he said, Wow. Well, you, she from Mississippi. God damn. He went. <laughs> <laughs> he said to her, You know how many women want to 
want me to put that? She said, I don't care. She said, I don't care how many women want you to put your hand on their thigh. Don't put your hand on my thigh, okay? And he was like, I right. <laughs> Yeah, he never he did it again. That he learned that day. He never did it again. He never. <laughs> so, you know, Miles and I, we had this really great, great uh, relationship in a way that was, you know, I miss him to this day, but it was just a marvelous relationship. Uh, every time he'd come uh, town, he'd invite me to leave. He'd leave, he leave uh, how many tickets you want? He said, how many tickets you want, you poor-ass motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> I said, can I bring... And he huh? meant to his yeah, shows, so, I guess? He, he said, to he his said, shows? I got okay. you a table down front, goddammit. And how many tickets you want? I said, give me four. Okay, okay. I got to, you know, I put you on my tab, all right? Don't say I didn't never do nothing for your ass. <laughs> and he would come. He would come up to the table and be playing. Everybody, everybody, everybody's all silent and everything. He come over to our table, and stick his tongue out at Margaret and I, <laughs> and people would be like, "What is he doing? Oh, that's what is too he funny." <laughs> but that right. that was him, you know. Man, he sounds like he was a real ham. I mean, this is a side that most of us don't know. Because when you, you know, for me, looking at his album covers and the photos, he was he serious. Looked so serious. But you know, you know what, you know what it was with, uh, you know what it was with him. He was very shy. Mm -hmm. You know, he was very, mm -hmm. very shy. He was very shy. And a lot of people didn't know how shy he was. Mm -hmm. So the way he kept people off of him was to uh, put that attitude out there to him. And uh, he kept everybody back because of that. Uh, wow. You know, we, we would walk down the street. We, I'd go see him and we'd go have lunch. And we'd be walking down the streets and people would be whispering, there's Miles Davis, there's Miles Davis, there's Miles Davis. <laughs> he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even. Wow. He wasn't, he wasn't into that. He really wasn't, you know, but. Uh, so, so what did that, you know, Quincy, what did that process do for you from the friendship to then writing about him and writing, you know, how was that for you artistically to sort of transfer that into I your told writing? Him, he told me something that was really important. He says, um, uh, when I first thought, really got to know him and, uh, and so. Uh, they asked me to write. Did, uh, could, did, did I did, did I think that Miles would let me do a piece on him for Spin magazine? I was, by this time I was writing for all the magazines, all the big top magazines: Spin, uh, the New York Times, uh, Rolling Stone, um, um, uh, all all of the, all of the, all of the uh, music magazines. And I asked him to do, a, can I do a piece on him? Uh, I'm going to do a piece on him. He said, Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, you, what you want to do? I said, I just want to, you know, do this piece on you. So I, I he was living on Fifth Avenue at the time. Uh, first, he was living on 59th Street when I first started. And I'd go down to 59th Street, and I'd we sit up there in the interview and do the interview, and we would just talk and talk and talk. And then he moved to Fifth Avenue, mm -hmm. 79th and Fifth Avenue, apartment on the 14th floor. And uh, I'd drive down there, and he, um, I, I'd sit up and talk to him, and we talk, 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 you know, and it, the, we talked so much. We had, I had so much tape. The Spin magazine piece had to be in two parts. 
it had to be in two parts. Wow. And when the piece came out, uh, uh, when the piece came out, I mean, Miles was with to the point where uh, he, he, he'd drive me downtown in his car or I'd drive him down in my, uh, and I had a sob at the time. This was funny. This is a funny story. I had a sob. I had a, a bronze star, a bronze sob. It was bronze color, about three years old at that time. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you got a car? I said, yeah, yeah, I got a car. He said, you give me a lift downtown to my girl's house? I said, sure, sure. And so he got his little bag, overnight bag, came out to my car. I had my sob. <laughs> and he took the sob and he said, what kind of piece of shit is this? <laughs> he said, I, I said, oh, wow. It's the piece of shit that's going to take you downtown if you shut your mouth. I Chris, <laughs> and I take him downtown. You know, but he was like that. That's what I liked about him. He was like point blank, you know. And if he liked he, Miles Davis, mm -hmm. was the kind of person. If he didn't like you, it was nothing you could do to make nothing, nothing. Mm. But if he liked you, nothing. You were in. You know, if he liked you, you right. were in. But if he didn't like you. That was it. You couldn't do nothing. Um, so it was a great, it was a great, it was a great um, time that we had. You know, I've had, he learned, taught me a lot. He taught me a lot just watching him, just watching him, like how he mm -hmm. rehearsed, he rehearsed, he really rehearsed, he rehearsed hard, he practiced. Uh, did you, Quin Quincy, did you ever perform your poetry with, Miles, well, you, you just know, asked playing. me a question that's going to be funny. After he died, oh, he was talking about okay. we doing this, man. <laughs> we were talking about doing this album with me reading poetry on it. Uh -huh. Yeah, man, we want to do this. I, and then he died. So I remember wow. going out to his grave. <laughs> I went out to his grave, and I sat there with my <laughs> wife. And I went out there, and I said, Miles, get, get up out of the goddamn ground, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> He was in a crib, you know. He was very, very in a crib. Uh, it's above the ground. He said he don't want no worms right. about getting him. So he's in a concrete crib above the ground. And I said, "Get up out! Come up out uh -huh. of that fucking crib, man! Shit! You know we supposed to do this wrecking? You fucking died? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Are you crazy?" And I'm talking to him like he's alive, right? <laughs> and he's, and, he's, and, and right. I swear I heard it. I know it was not true, but I heard some. He said. Get off my goddamn grave, you motherfucker. Something making you. He said, Yo, get oh. off my shit, man. You're <laughs> out here disturbing the peace. <laughs> talking that dumb shit. I'm talk that's not the way I talk, but that's the way he talks. <laughs> yeah, that's the way he talks. That's the way he talks, oh. right. And I hear, you know, it was funny. I still, I go, I go, I go see him in those, uh, sometimes, you know, go and go by his grave out there. And uh, because um, uh, he, he was a spirit. He was a great spirit. Wow. That's amazing. And so right around that time where you, you were also writing poetry. And I gather you were probably yes, teaching I, I, as well. I, I, Is I that gotten, correct? I, I, I was teaching at, uh, I had gotten this job teaching um, at, at City University of New York. And I, I was tenured. Mm -hmm. I was tenured. Uh, uh, I, I taught there for 20 years. <clears throat> then I started teaching at Columbia University's wow. writing, writing program in New York. And um, that was a great gig. Mm -hmm. About that time, 
you know, I was starting to get a lot, lot of attention after the miles, a lot of attention. And so then uh, uh, Chris Gardner wanted me to write his book. Uh, and then Earl Monroe wanted me to write his book. Mm. Earl lives in the same building I live in now in New York. And uh, they, they all wanted. Wow. All, all, mm-hmm. There are all kinds of people wanted me to write their books after the Miles book. And uh, I, I did wow. three. I did Earl of Pearl Monroe with Earl Monroe. I did uh, mm-hmm. uh, the Pursuit of Happiness mm-hmm. with Chris Gardner. Uh-huh. And, right. Uh huh. Right. Chris Gardner. And the Miles book. And mm-hmm. I think I, I think that's it. Um, those 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 books. And then um, then I wrote Miles. Oh, that's what he said to me. Don't write about me until I'm dead. That's what Miles said. Don't write about me until I'm dead. <laughs> so I had oh, to wait till he, he died to write Miles and me. You know, he knew I was going to write about it. Okay. You know you're going to do right. it, so don't do it until I'm dead. Okay. <laughs> so I did. I did. I did. And I kept my word. I didn't do it until he, I kept my word. And you I wrote, kept your word, yeah. I wrote, I wrote Miles and me after he died, yeah. And, and about how long would you say that with the span of time did that take you? Was it pretty easy? Because you had been taping uh, right. your conversations and I think with him, right? I think uh, I'm going to do this and I'll see. Let's see. Yeah, he died in 1991 and uh, died in 1991. Uh-huh. And Miles and Me came out in in uh, 2000. It came out in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And... Um, and mm-hmm. you know it, it, it's done very well, just like the Mousy autobiography did very well, uh, and uh, the Mousy autobiography right. has been translated into like thirty some languages. It, it's about thirty some languages, maybe wow. I don't know how many, you know. And uh, and Miles and Me has been translated into about mm-hmm. twenty, you know, fifteen or twenty. So both mm-hmm. of those books have done quite well. Mm-hmm. Yes, and indeed. And, you know, that kind of brings me to uh, knowing that this film has been in the works for uh, a while now. And can sure. you talk a little sure. bit it's about Miles that, and me. Quincy? And my mm-hmm. friend, the, I, the real interesting thing is my friend, who was my editor on the Miles pieces I wrote for Spin, and he was my editor on when I was writing for The Village Voice. And uh, when I was writing for Spin, he had moved over from mm-hmm. The Village Voice to spin and uh, Rudy Langlace, Rudy Langlace, who is from uh, St. Kitts. He's, he's a black guy from St. Kitts. He's really a great editor. And uh, <clears throat> he's also now, the, he went into making movies. He, he, he produced The Hurricane and six other movies. The Hurricane with Denzel Washington. Yeah, he, put, he produced that movie. Oh yeah. And now uh-huh. he's producing Miles and Me. And uh, we were supposed to have started, but then, coronavirus uh uh the coronavirus happened and so sure. we were supposed to have started last year sure. mm-hmm. but now it's going to start they're going to they're gonna start shooting okay in uh this uh i think it's i'm not sure but i, I don't don't keep, don't hold me to this because it but it's like it's going to come out next oh, year sure. mm-hmm. it's going to come out next year and um oh next year yeah well, do they, uh, Quincy, do they have their cast and all of that? Do yeah, you Michael know K. Who's Williams playing is playing Miles Davis. Michael... Yeah, oh, Michael, Michael K. K. Williams, Williams from New York. Miles. Yeah. And uh, at first, it, uh-huh. Lawrence Fishburne, Fishburne was going to play me, but, uh, you know, uh, but I don't know how that's going to go because they were talking about mm-hmm. other people now. 
and uh, and then Denzel is going to be in it somewhere. Right. I don't know what what Denzel's going to do. Denzel wants to direct. You're kidding it, me. But I don't know if that's what it is. They I I, I try oh, to keep yeah. out of it. You know, because it's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. Okay. It's Hollywood. Right. And I, you know, I I prefer not to. Yeah. I see when I go out there. I you know I kind of check in, but yeah. Sure. But you, they are going the on too. your book, and you. Uh, yeah, I wrote the. Screen you wrote. Book. Oh, you wrote the script as well. Mm. Yep, I did. Oh wow, that's amazing. <laughs> mm. Well, you are quite the writer, uh, Quincy. Of course, I knew that, but just I did not know that you were uh, had done the screenwriting as well. That, and so uh, you mentioned Quincy that you know it'd be that. Denzel would be great uh, to direct your film uh, for Miles and Me. Well, he, and they don't um, want the, well, you know what I, the guy who's going he wants to direct it. I I don't know, and so does Carl Franklin. Carl Franklin. So, so those two people, I know, uh -huh. want to do it. I don't know who Rudy's going to pick. I don't know, you know. So I I have to I have to say that, uh -huh. but I. You know, I but but Denzel is going to be involved in it in some way, and uh, Denzel sure. said, said I'll tell you, Denzel said he wanted to play me. I said, I said, I said, I said, <laughs> I, said I said, Rudy, Denzel too old to play me at that time. <laughs> so he goes back and tells Denzel. Denzel said, what? what? Uh, huh? He went back and told Denzel. I, I told him about Denzel. I said, oh I no! Said, he <laughs> no, but he laughed. I know Denzel. Oh no! Here we I, go. I, 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 he said, "What are you trying to be like, Miles?" <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, that is hilarious. Oh man. Wow. Well, it sounds like you've had a real good time uh, with this project for sure, Quincy. Um, and so what about with The Pursuit of Happiness? Were you no. in, involved no, with that movie I, I as well? I, I wasn't involved with that. I wasn't mm -hmm. involved with that. I just wrote the book. I get royalties. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I get royalties. Oh, I'll tell you a funny story nice. about that. Uh, well, look, let me huh? be one of your, your godchildren, okay? <laughs> I'm just joking. I said, let me be no, one of no, your godchildren. Chris, you know, Chris, Chris goes with goes. He he he. One of his former girlfriends lives in my build, the building, and he comes over here sometimes. And so one day I was I got on the uh -huh. elevator to go down go down, and he was on the elevator. Hey, hey, Troop, what's happening, man? I said, how you doing? He said, he said, yeah, man. I, he, I said, I got to tell you, man. I think you didn't got enough money off me, man. I said, I said, I I thought you was a businessman, Chris. He said, what? I thought you were a businessman. I said, you signed the contract, fool. <laughs> I said, you signed the contract. You ain't got nothing to do with that. That's the hilarious. Anyway. So he said, oh, oh, is that like that? I said, yeah. I said, you know, and you from Milwaukee. I'm from St. Louis. And, I, you know, people from St. Louis don't take no shit now. Don't go there, boy. <laughs> he looked at me like, oh, oh, That's oh. Right. It's like that. I said, yeah, it's like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that. Don't go there, man. Don't it's go like there. that. Mm -hmm. Don't go there, man. I say I like you. We, got, <laughs> we had a good, great relationship up until now. You know. <laughs> All right, bro. Okay, man. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I, I, but Chris is. I don't know. Chris. Is wow. Funny. He's a funny guy. But he, he, you know, he 
he signed me. He came to get me. He mm-hmm. came and found me because he loved my Miles book. So I'm grateful. Okay. I'm grateful for that, that he found me to do that book. You know, uh, Earl Monroe lives in the same building mm-hmm. as I do. And, and so one day, he, oh, I, wow. I, I, mm-hmm. the doorbell rings. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't know Earl. I didn't know him. I saw him pass. And I opened the door. It's Earl Monroe. Hey, 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 man. Uh, you, Quincy Troop. I said, yeah, Earl Monroe. I said, I know who you are, man. He said, yeah, I want to talk to you about something. I said, what? <laughs> he said, you like to write my book? I said, oh, I'd, I'd, that'd, be, I'd be an honor to write your book, man. It'd be an honor. And uh, I did. So we tight to wow. this day. I mean, we are really tight, you know. His, yeah, he and wow. he and, he and his wife, mm. who's crazy, that she's crazy for her, uh, Marita. But uh, we we all love her, you know. And Earl, mm-hmm. Earl is a beautiful guy. He is just one beautiful guy. As a, he was a great player, but he's a, just a beautiful spirit too. Mm. Wow. It sounds like, you know, one opportunity yes. led to the next, led to the next, you know, with no, 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 no. It was, it was just smooth was. sailing, I mean, I didn't, you, you know? know. Something that I never thought about. I, I didn't, I never thought about any of this. I really didn't. I really didn't. The only thing I wanted to do was to be after a certain point of, to mm-hmm. write good poetry. That's what it was for me. And uh, yeah. um, I wasn't thinking about any of this other uh, but like I said, I went to school to study journalism and picked up a craft and I learned how to write mm-hmm. books like that, uh, prose and uh, uh, and autobiographies. And, and I studied all I studied it and uh, um, and and, and, and it's, mm-hmm. it has served me well in that way. But I'm not going to write anymore. I'm not going to write anymore. No. And so. I, oh. I'm not going to write any more autobiographies. I'm trying to, or... I, I'm writing. I'm writing my oh, memoir now. It's called. Oh. Uh, uh, I, I, have, I have. I have. I don't know exactly what the title is going to be, but I'm writing it now, um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I'm trying to finish it. Uh, I'm trying to finish it now. You know. Yeah. Do you have do, yeah. Quincy? Do you already have a publisher yeah, for yeah, it? Yeah, seven store. I, I, oh, I have a wow. really good publisher now, That's Seven amazing. Stories Press. Se- Seven Stories Press. Yeah, uh-huh. Seven Stories Press. Seven Stories then, Press. Then, okay. They really are, they have the division of Random House. And so... Uh, oh, okay, right. Yeah, because I found your book on Random House. Yeah, but so it's, I thought yeah, it was Seven Stories Penguin Press Random House. Random House. Uh, yeah. um, uh, and so Dan uh-huh. Simon, he, he's, you know, he's my editor. And um, the interesting guy, a South African Jewish guy, and uh, he came. He came and he came. He found me. Oh, you know? okay. Yeah, yeah. At oh, he party, came and found party, you know? found you, much like how Earl found you, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, true. Chris Gardner. <laughs> it's um, uh, you never think about New York. I always tell people about living in New York. Some people say, "Man, I don't see. I used to live in New York." I said, "New York is a writer's town." I said, so it's writer's city and uh, yes. things drop off trees in your lap and you mm-hmm. don't even be looking for it. You know, I said, the, the, the problem right. is most people cannot handle living in New York. I can handle living in New York because one, I have mm-hmm. a wonderful wife and uh, right. we, uh, we've been together 40 years mm-hmm. uh, and she's from, 
Oh, you know, over wow. 40. Congratulations, Miss. You and yeah, Mrs. Margaret Porter, uh, Mar- she, Margaret she used to work Porter at the New York Truth. Times. Yes. And uh, we met each other. And the funny thing about Margaret, mm-hmm. when I met her, I was running around with all kinds of little ladies at the time, and she had all kinds of boyfriends and everything. She had all kinds of, because she's, <laughs> she, you know, she's nice looking. <laughs> she had all kinds of boyfriends. And all. So she told me, I'll never mm-hmm. forget it. She says, because I was over our house, she used to live in the village, and I was, you know, all passionate and everything. She says, uh-huh. don't get serious. Don't get serious. I said, what? She said, don't, don't get serious now. She says, you know, I only go with somebody <laughs> for three days, three weeks, or three months. That's what she told me. At she three me, months. That's it. Don't get serious. <laughs> so now, yeah, so, so, so now where we walk Don't get the house, serious. I, hear, I said, you still here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's long I mean, past you, three you weeks still, and three still, months now <laughs> she just laughed now shut up <laughs> and uh so i you know so wow that is amazing and um that's amazing she's uh, always mm-hmm. uh, she's a lovely lady and uh you know our family's great family mm-hmm. big family from mississippi and uh you know it's just so I've been very uh-huh. fortunate. I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I have. Wow. That's amazing. And so, you know, Quincy, you mentioned how you are drafting a poem uh, uh, talking about COVID or related to COVID. How has the pandemic uh, influenced or changed your artistry or your yeah, writing or even your Mark. thinking process? Yeah, I was talking uh, to in this we were last this year, morning. so I mean, we don't go no, we don't go out anywhere. We don't go. We used to, uh, we used to go travel a lot. Mm. We traveled a lot. As a matter of fact, when the COVID hit, we were we were just about to go to Portugal, and uh, and uh, for about three weeks. Mm. And so we haven't been able to go anywhere. Uh, I had I had these gigs. I had all these uh, lectures and uh, lectures lined up, uh, uh, the talks and uh, lectures and poetry reading. Wow! And I had to cancel all of them. And so now they are talking about they they want to they want to they want to wait to you know, want it to happen in the fall or you know okay I said okay whatever you right know, I'm, I'm, you know but it's so strange and where mm-hmm. we live uh, in Harlem we live in Harlem. Uh, I, I think we we live in a lovely neighborhood, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this neighborhood where we live, is yeah. uh, really uh, mm-hmm. uh, mixed, mixed, integrated. All kind of people, all kind of people live here: Latinos, white uh-huh. people, black people, uh, Arabs. Uh, you know, a lot of people from, from Europe. You know, it's Africa. Mm-hmm. It's this street, this street, and we live on. It's not, not, a lot of African mm-hmm. shops and all that. So it's it's a great area to live in. And it's oh wow! Funny. And no crime, although we have been hearing some stupid stuff that has been happening around here. You know, um, uh, uh-huh. one guy, when I walked out one day, I have never had a problem. And I was walk, going across the street to the it's a deli on the other side, run by these people from Yemen. So I go in and get, I go in and get the papers, and I and I go in and get you know some some ice cream and stuff like that. So I come out, and this guy standing there, he said. Hey, you, you're the poet, right? I said, what? He said, yeah, you're the poet. He mm-hmm. said, you're that poet, right? I said, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, yeah, I write poetry. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you wrote that book on Miles Davis, right? I said, who are you? 
He says, man, give me some money. I said, excuse me? That's what he said. He said, give me some money. I said, what? Yeah, give me some money, man. You, mm. you one of them rich niggas? Give me some money. I looked at him. I said, look here, boy. Mm. I said, don't get in my face. I said, I will take you out right Uh-oh. now. <laughs> I, said, I, I got right in his face. I said, I will take you, I will take you out right now. I said, you messing with the wrong one. Mm. Oh, oh I, well, don't go violent. Mm-hmm. I said, I ain't going violent. I'm just telling you what's about to happen. I said, I'm telling you what's about to happen. <laughs> oh, no. You threatening me, man. You ain't got no right to threaten me, man. Yeah. You got no right to talk to me like that. You mm. understand what I'm saying to you? Yeah, yeah, okay, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. Okay. And he started back. I said, yeah, don't ever, ever say something to me like that, ever. And he, and I walked across the street. And I remember it was, you know, this wow. neighborhood is like, hey, you got these crazy people. Is what you got woman is walking down the street, beautiful, beautiful black woman. I mean, she was as bourgeois as you could get. I mean, she was decked to the nines, clean. I mean, she was clean <laughs> and she was fine, beautiful. You know, one Bob, nobody had a sunglass. She's walking up the street, and this guy comes up, comes up and says, Baby, boy, she stopped, pulled, took off her glasses and said, Shut the fuck up. I will cut you with my fucking razor. <laughs> That's what she told him. I said, oh, whoa. Lord. <laughs> I mean, so Ooh. you got this mix. And she Boy. looked at him. And she was serious, too. Mm. She was serious. She was about five, nine. Mm. She was looking at him man in the face. I said, this woman mm-hmm. ain't planned. <laughs> and the guy said, hey, 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 hey. No, she's not. Get out of my face, she said, and she walked right past him like he wasn't nothing, you know. And she and she as she was walking, I was looking wow. at her like, "How you doing, brother?" And she kept going. <laughs> so you got you got the mix of crazy <laughs> people around here, I guess. And and at the same time, you got some beautiful people yeah. around here, you know. So you got this mix, and sometimes it can get really mm-hmm. strange, you know. But but not much. Usually not not, not at all. Yeah. You know? No, not out of hand. Not not too out of hand. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, what has your creativity been like during this time? Well, you know, in the last year with the pandemic morning, and everything. Every day I get up and write. Uh, I get up every day and write. That's the good thing. That I get up and write every every day. Uh, and I write on my memoir. The memoir is titled The Accordion Years, like an accordion. Uh, because it's like uh, it's 1966 mm-hmm. till now, you know, and it's co- and it's called the accordion years and goes oh, in and out. It's okay. in eleven mm-hmm. chapters, and uh, I'm not trying to tell my, write a autobiography or a biography autobiography. Or it's 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 on how I became a poet. Uh-huh. That's what I'm decided to get it down to, and it's going to be about 250 okay. pages, and I've got 170 down, yeah. written now. So I, I work on that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I work on that. Oh, that's a nice. And then uh, I work on these. Yeah, that's a nice crazy lift. poems that I'm writing uh-huh. now. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, about doing this, <laughs> doing, doing, uh, uh, like I wrote. Uh, you know, I, 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 I named the book Duende, but I didn't have a poem called Duende. I didn't have a poem, uh-huh. so I said I got to write a poem called titled Duende. Hmm. You know, so I did. I did that. So I, I yeah. got that guy. And that was, mm-hmm. and then I wrote 
a poem I, I was telling you about earlier, uh, I, I realized I hadn't written anything about the mm-hmm. COVID-19. And uh, so I'm right. I just started writing this poem called COVID-19 Removals, you know, um, and uh, it's not long now. It's about mm. it's my second draft and it's about 15 lines. The Duende is a little, mm-hmm. little bit longer, not much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Quincy, would you now like to what, what, uh, re- read uh, yeah, what, few, let me some of your one. work, uh, a few of your poems? Let me see. How much time we have to read it, Tim? Okay. okay oh, it's, about, it's fine. You here. So let me yeah. read. Um, let's see. These aren't published. It's going to be in my book, Duende. And uh, this is called COVID nineteen, and it's not. And it's not. Okay. You know, I kn- I usually don't do this, but I'm I'm, I'm going to do it because uh, 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 it's it's in, it's my second draft, and I okay. wrote it today. Uh, I was right. This is the second draft written at two twelve p.m. Uh, today, the nineteenth, twenty twenty one, and uh, and I always put my, where I live and my name wow. at the bottom and sign it. And it's called COVID-19. Then I'll read the Duende poem and some, mm-hmm. a couple more. COVID-19 removals. Okay. They were people we once knew. Friends, doctors, artists, poets, who passed through our lives breathing, smiling. Now they are photographs. Ghosts we pull from wallets and pockets. We show them off now as if they were relics we placed in an album next to a coffin holding a trace of a memory of someone's face we once knew. Love to see walking full of laughter toward us, next to us, through a day bursting with sunshine, music tonguing a kiss from the lover walking next to us. Now they are one, now they are gone in a flash of memory. We received in a phone call yesterday. Duende. Mm. Yeah. That was Quincy. Thank you for that. I appreciate that that point. Yeah, it's not true, but I, I, I like. Thank you for sharing that. This is Duende, and this is I've been, I've been writing this for mm-hmm. a little while, and it's going to be the title poem in my book. Duende. In the bottomless power, magic of Duende, climbing stealthily from Earth, wrapped inside secrets, mystery infused in black magic, enters bodies in the form of dance, music, art, imbuing language with sovereignty, in blood spooling back through violent centuries, voices echoing ancient Africa, Rise, thread, from skins of blessed, sacred rituals. People emerge from drums as heartbeats in time. Memory is revived here now through metaphor. Olden voices find their way, vibrating into song. Rhythms stitch forgotten sounds into language. Beat out of them by whips on slave ships. Bring back wonder of feet pounding. Dance, 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 I say. Dance, dance, dance. 
the Holy Ghost lost in bloody homelands. Dance, dance, dance. Now souls underneath rise up through bodies, spooled back with talismans, hypnotic, pulled ancient voodoo up in buckets filled with holy water, evoke memories drinking from whodunit secrets, awaken in the voice of Garcia Lorca, Andalusian dudes heard in Miles's clues, vibrating anew in sketches of Spain, a Dante blues, dance, dance, Dance now, dance, dance, dance now. I say dance, dance, dance now. <laughs> mm. I love that piece. You can hear the, you know what, Quincy? You can hear the music yes. in, in, yes. in, in yes. your poem, Duende. And, and so this yes, would be the title the poem, poem. Yeah. For, your, for your new book. Duende poems, wonderful. You That's want to hear wonderful. Else? Okay, I'll, I'll read. I'll, I'll read a few. Oh, I'd love to. You know, if you have two, if you have two more, How many more? Uh, that'd be great. Before we, you know, close okay. out. I'm going to read two more. one that's kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, I had a dream. <laughs> and so this part is, uh, is a dream comes out of a dream. And it's called, What the Nightmare Taught Me in Sleep. What the nightmare taught me in sleep is what the panther prowling through darkness informed me of when sleeping. Was his purring mind unlocking with glowing eyes that were keys and navigating with stealth my fear in coming upon these those mysterious shadows were they demonic devils ascending from the frightening corners of my hellish imagination during this COVID-19 time, which sometimes pushed me towards slipping, stepping over the edge of a cliff and plunging, screaming into the mystery howling from deep down in the unknown lurking below? Is this what the fear of death knows is coming? We never know when it will arrive, carrying a linguistic magic inside the nuances of having lived a life of joy with rhythm pulsating when arranging the orchestration in a symphony of words that serve as notes inside the flow, the architectonic jambalaya of sentences, building structures inside the digiwadu of contemporary poetry. It all came to me now in sleep from inside shadows through trees came in the form of a black panther in my dream obliquely stalking the helpless prey inherited from genes, gifts his parents bequeathed him, dropped when his mother opened up the hen's doorway and her vagina dropped him bloody, born into two fierce eyes under a bright moon, two eyes resembling the boiling heat of the sun. Now I know what the snarling that prowling shadow leads to. Most times there is quick death lurking in the blue-black darkness. In any moment it informs there is nothing our fingers can touch. Though it is what history tells us might be the truth we are searching for. Though maybe it's just a pathway, faith that intersects with wisdom, seers, and poets' song, evoked 
in metaphors filled with shamanistic images, reciting lines threading through the poet's voice, embedded with soul, shouted out within those rhythms great musicians heard. Now the time has come for me to try to implement this voice. I heard when the panther spoke through the mystery of my dreams, and that voice is arriving now in the uncertainty inside this poem, in the uncertainty this poem brings. And then this last one is... It's yeah. wonderful. And, and, and Quincy, can I just ask you, is that a poem? Yeah, that's all that's going to be in this collection, new book. Seduction. Duende. Uh, all these are going to be in, in yeah. the book. Oh, and, uh, okay. Uh, I got, let me read two more and then you can do what you want. Nice. Okay, and I don't know if you know, I can hear that's some kind of background noise. I, I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> Oh, okay. 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 This is called Storms of Passing Through the Heart <laughs> okay. of America. All these are new. Yeah. They're all oh, these like are new. In the first Okay. Or, okay. And I, I I you know, they're they they knew I'm gonna go over them again. So I'm just reading them to you now. Storms are passing mm -hmm. through the heart of America. Okay. A howling snowstorm is passing through the heart of America. It is ripping down trees, piling up high on concrete streets, covering sidewalks, littered with feces, garbage poisoning the air we all breathe. Our faces are covered with painted, elaborate masks. Some eyes dart arrows around anxious with fear, size up everything coming their way. Now, always suspect sometimes even friends. These storms sometimes incubate in minds of people we know. Some call friends who might live next door in prisons they have created for themselves when they lock their minds up in pods where news sweeps grow like snowstorms full of strange beliefs locked into place in this atmosphere of bizarre propaganda when howling white snowstorms of disinformation rage everywhere. So, what to do inside these melancholy suburban pods suspended in time when there are a few live music bands here to relieve us? Where is the great band weather report when we need their release? Where are the art shows buzzing live conversations, the poetry readings? live dance shows, live anything. So what to do then is the question we ask when a howling snowstorm freezes heartland America. What to do then when time is an hourglass running out of sand? 77 syllables in 11 lines. Hmm. Mm -hmm. 77 that syllables. Really, really nice. Mm -hmm. You might think you can do it. Write a good but not great poem in 11 lines exact with 77 beats, seven in every line. Then catch its rhythm, its flow, so sweet, locked inside your word count without missing not one syllable in lines stacked up as in a pile of pancakes 
straight out the hot frying pan. Wow. Thank you so much, Quincy, for these poems. And these are all yes. poems that will be, be in, in your Duende. forthcoming Duende. collection, Duende. Uh, along with a whole bunch of others. <laughs> wow. Well, people are in for a real treat uh, with this book. And I'm sure you will be doing oh, you yeah, know, other do interviews yeah. uh, to when, promote the book, not, right? Not right now. I'm I'm going to do one one mm-hmm. later on this afternoon. And then I, I, my publisher is lining up others. I don't mm-hmm. know what he's lining up. <laughs> you know. Uh, mm-hmm. you, wow. You, well, I'm, you know, you I'm privileged to be one of the first. I have to say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. That's amazing, man. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Quincy, you know, blessings to you and. Uh, Mrs. Margaret uh, Porter Troop. Uh, It's just been amazing to talk with you. Your history is, you know, absolutely astounding. Uh, Your poetry, and you don't remember this, but I took a workshop with you at Megar Evers some years ago during the uh, uh, Black Writers Annual Black Writers Conference many years ago. You know, I do so many of these workshops and sometimes... uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I, uh, I, I tell you one funny story. You see, it's not the truth. So it's not the same with you. So guy, some, this, this woman walked up to me on the street and said, Oh, you're a crazy troop. I said, yeah, every day. <laughs> so she said, I know you. I said, Oh, you do. I said, oh, what, what, that's cool. I said, where you know me from? Oh, I, I, I came to one of your readings and you talked to me afterwards. I said, uh, really? <laughs> he said, yeah. You don't remember me? I said, not, absolutely not. I don't. <laughs> I said, I'm not saying you're not a good person. Absolutely or not. You ain't a great person, but one time, you know, come on now. I said, come on now. Don't make, don't try to make me feel bad. Right. Now. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, Actually, I, no do. I don't. I do. I, and I, I didn't expect I you to remember me, but you, I just wanted you know, to mention But I don't you. recall this woman. I, don't, uh, I didn't recall that at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably get a lot of people, uh, former students yeah, I do, and but different poets coming I, up to you all the time. The huh? I ever heard was Earl Monroe uh, said something to a guy. Guy came, ran, we were, Earl and I were going somewhere, and this guy, this white guy, ran up to Earl on the street and said, Earl Monroe, the pearl, the pearl, Earl, pearl. So, you know, Earl kind of is shy, and he kind of laughs. <laughs> he started laughing. <laughs> the guy said, you remember me? He said, no. <laughs> I, met you at, I met you at Madison Square Garden. He said, what, what, in front of about <laughs> 25,000 people? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you and twenty five thousand other I laughed, people. I laughed, I laughed. It was so funny. Tw- right. Twenty five thousand others. <laughs> That's hilarious. And so, uh, Quincy, how can we best uh, support your work now uh, and follow you? You know, we're in this pandemic, so. I- I know it may be difficult to see you at the the the, ne- the nearest bookstore uh, reading, but 
How would you well, like uh, to support want, you and your, your forthcoming you know, work? I, I have a whole, they can look me up online. Uh, I, you know, the Miles and Me book is out. You, they, can, they can get that or they can get the Miles, the autobiography, those two books. The Pursuit of Happiness, I don't have to push because mm-hmm. Chris Gardner's running everywhere pushing that. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, so, but, but those two, Miles and Me and uh, Miles, the <laughs> and then the, is um, these books that I have out now is, uh, I have a book called Ghost Voices. It's a ghost voices. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one, it's, it's a book and it's a poem mm-hmm. in prayer. It's a, uh, it's, it's, that poem is, that poem is about in 13 parts. Okay. It's a long poem. One poem, and then the other book is called Seduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's out now. Both of them were done by. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they, they were both done by. Um, I think uh, Northwestern University Press. Well, I have Seduction right here. Book Tri Quarterly uh, Books. Eroncities. E r r a n c i t i e s. Eroncities, and that's from Coffee House, and then there's a big book called okay. Trans uh, Circularities. Uh-huh. about 400 pages. Mm-hmm. Also from Coffee House, and both of those are in paperback and hardback. Wow, it's wonderful, and you you are are still writing and just churning it out. Even you know, I talk to different writers who say, "Yeah, I mean, the pandemic." has impacted their writing or, you know, their movement, how they feel and different things like that. So it's, it's, it's really wonderful to hear, uh, Quincy, that you've been quite productive uh, during this time of uncertainty and you, yes, you know, you just I mean, keep I on focusing that, um, on the art. You know, I think that um, poets, writers have to, the, uh, you wrote, uh, uh, which I thought was really good, says, um, he said, what advice would I give to emerging poets or poets who are younger? Um, I think that what poets have to do is yes. write. They have to write every day if they can. They have to write every day, write something down. I carry a notebook with me mm. and I write in it all the time. I write in it all the time. I jot down uh, uh, little lines here and there. That's what that first poem that came out of, uh, that COVID-19 poem. You know, I, I, it just came out of there because mm-hmm. I was just, I just, uh-huh. trying, I said, well, I got to write something about this COVID-19. And I didn't know what it was going to be. And I'm still, I, have, I haven't finished that poem. But I figured uh, I'm not afraid to write down pieces. I'm not afraid mm-hmm. to read, read works in progress uh, because I know they're going to change. I, I, know, and I, I know these poems are going to change. And, uh, and I think they should work, just work at it. And then, you know, in, in during this time of, uh, uh, COVID. I think they should read more, read as much as they can. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know how they can support uh, mm-hmm. if they can if they can buy people's work through their publishers. Because I'm that in the fall, I'm going to start moving out and doing books, reading readings. I'm going to start doing readings in the fall. Uh, okay. But uh, do you have a newsletter or something people sign on to to get your news, yeah, or is they, it mainly you know, following you wife, on Margaret, uh, social MP media? Uh, if they want, if they want to, okay. my, my wife, uh, my wife serves as kind of an agent for me, and her, 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 her um, if people want to okay. 
uh, reach me or uh, her, 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 her email is mptroop at yahoo.com, lowercase, mptroop, T-R-O-U-P-E, at okay. yahoo.com. And if they want to invite me later, in, if they want to invite me to do readings later in the fall, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know they can talk to her uh, because she handles, uh-huh. handles it. She handles all of that. I see. Yeah, she does handles all. all she my does bookings. those uh, bookings you know, and you know, things. People call so. up and say, "Hey, okay, hey, Quince Troop." I said, "Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, but we'd like you to do a reading for us." I said, "Oh, really?" I said, uh, <laughs> "He said, yeah, man, we got twenty five dollars." I said, "What?" I don't do that. I either do, I either do free or you know, right. you have to talk to my wife. You know what I mean? I said, you know, it's like you wouldn't ask a musician to right. do. Uh-oh. Uh, you wouldn't ask <laughs> Miles Davis or, or, or some right some musician to do a reading for ten dollars. Yeah, you wouldn't ask them to do that. You wouldn't do it. I said, so I, you right. know, I'm here to tell you, you can't, you can't ask poets to do that. I'm speaking for, I say, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm speaking for all poets. Poets don't want to do five dollar readings. You know what I mean? Good. Yeah, I said, yeah. You know, we got family clapping about that. You know, just yes. like I mean, you don't ask you don't you don't ask a, a lawyer to do nothing for free. No, you don't. I don't. I don't know why people do that. <laughs> you sure but don't. They do it. They do it all the time. Yeah, so true. Well, Quincy, it's been an absolute joy and a privilege to talk with you today on. Uh, yes. A sunny Friday, as you mentioned, sunny in New York. And uh, I wish you the, the best of uh, success with your new work, Dwinde, right. coming out in August, as well as all of your previous works. And uh, I will, of course, uh, be in touch on this. And uh, I will be posting uh, your, your uh, yeah, you're gonna send me book so titles I can, I can, along look, I with this uh, interview as well. Okay. All right. All right. Do you oh mind? yeah, of course. I, I, as soon I as fun doing soon it. as it's Sometimes done, I don't have fun. Yep. Uh, uh, I, I don't have fun with uh, uh, interviews, you know, Be, because I'm kind of, you know, I, I I've interviewed a lot of people, and mm-hmm. so when I, I know I I see that you you thought these questions out, or as uh, so. Uh, Oh, yes. I think about yeah, it's it. Like, it's I, like and Miles I think about say, it and kind yeah, of meditate on it a little bit, too. I have to think about this shit. He's <laughs> 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 so funny. I, I'm always quoting Miles. Yes, yes, stuff sir. So, yes, sir. I did. Yeah, I, I, this guy one I time. did. Yeah, it's like you took about a minute to think about that shit, man. <laughs> I cracked up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, amazing. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Quincy, and blessings uh, for the Mrs. And hope you all have a blessed rest of your day. And I will definitely be in touch. Bye-bye. And you were just listening to episode 22 of Nerdocity Podcast, featuring my guest, award-winning poet, Professor, editor, children's author, and nonfiction author Quincy Troop. Quincy has a new book coming out later this summer titled Dwende, 
you can visit sevenstories.com, Quincy's publisher for Duende, for more information on this title. You can also visit Quincy's website, www.quincytroop.com, for information on his previous works, including Miles and Me, his memoir, and also the autobiography of Miles Davis. Visit my website, doawaworld.com, and I also hope that you'll listen to episodes 1 to 20 of my podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, feel free to give a small donation at anchor.fm slash slash support. Connect with me on Instagram at Nerdocity Podcast and also tweet me on Twitter at NerdocityPod1. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.